ora and welcome back to Heritage Talks. In the talk that you are about to hear, Marguerite Hill, who is a uh, heritage researcher with Auckland Council, talked to us about dressing up and costumes in New Zealand muse- museum uh, collections and also uh, she touched on what we've got in the Auckland Libraries collection. Uh, and just before before we get to Margaret, I've got Harriet Rogers with me, um, and Harriet works in the Sir George Grey Special Collections at the Auckland Library. Um, hi Harriet. Hi. Cool, thanks for coming along. Welcome. Um, Harriet, you, you, have a bit of, you have a background in clothing and textiles, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So I'm a Heritage Library Assistant in the Special Collections, but my uh, study and research before that was in dress and textile histories. Um, I'm also a sewer and, um, and a clothing designer and make costumes uh, f- mainly for school theatre productions. So, I mean, in terms of um, the kind of materials that people would have been using or people would have had access to? Well, in past times, um, textiles were obviously well, were a lot more expensive than they are today. Mm. You know, today we can just go out and buy clothing quite cheaply, but in past times um, that wasn't available because textiles were expensive and time consuming to produce and then also to um, trade around the world. Um, so people in New Zealand, especially when we were quite cut off from the rest of the world, would have been quite innovative in reusing, repurposing materials. Um, they would have only had natural fibres in earlier times, so pre sort of mid of the 20th century, um, it would have been wool, cotton, linen, rather than uh, the stretchy and synthetic fibres that we have today. Mm. So they would have had to have been uh, clever in the ways that they constructed the costumes as well to allow for more movement um, and for wear and tear. So it was much more of a sort of a homespun kind of thing that we're looking at. Yeah, people still would have purchased the materials mostly, I think, other than knitting for themselves. um, They would have purchased the textiles but then made the garments up at home themselves. Um, Some people may have employed dressmakers but that would have been a more expensive option than making it yourself. Yeah. I'm I'm interested in the idea Marguerite talks about um, these costumes used as advertising. Mm-hmm. or postables, isn't it, that mm-hmm. she talks about. Do you think we're looking at the at the early stages of today's use of clothing for mass, mass branding? Yeah, well, perhaps that's kind of where it started in uh, putting this, the names of companies and onto the clothing in a really visible way. Yeah. Um, I think you could compare it to something today like for example, in sports, say in the tennis, uh, top sports people often wear really clearly branded clothing that shows the names of their sponsors. Mm. Speaking of advertising, the um, the cover image that we're using um, is of a Miss Laking mm-hmm. who has a house on her head. She does, yes. <laughs> is that right? What do we... <laughs> What do, we, what do we know about Miss Laking? Okay, so this is a, a portrait um, of Miss Laking by Herman John Schmidt, who was a, a photographer. Um, and 
she's actually wearing a costume which is advertising an estate agent's firm. So it's um, Hannah and Co estate agents and they were based at number nine Shortland Street. And um, so her dress is made up of panels which are advertising the company and these have been hand painted and they're showing houses and a farm scene. She also has a fan which is advertising um, the company as well and her hat as you've pointed out has a 3D replica of a villa house on top of it with a for sale sign and um, so from head to toe she is <laughs> a walking advertisement for this company. So this would have been something that would have been worn to a ball? Yeah so um, as Marguerite will talk about um, this would have been worn to a poster ball yeah. so the company will have sponsored the costume um, for her to wear and then they sort of they get the advertising out of it from all the people that see her and yeah. see this image which was then produced by, um, by Schmidt. That's right. Um, so Schmidt did quite a lot of these kinds of um, advertising type photos. Do we know anything else about who she was? Did she do this? She wouldn't have, you wouldn't have done that professionally, would you? Or well, that was the difference, I think, wasn't it? In terms yeah, of modelling. I don't think she was a professional model. I think yeah, yeah, she was just an attendant at the ball. Um, but she probably was more well known after the ball once her yeah. image was, you know, published and, and seen about town. Because we've got, I think we've got a few other um, photographs online, like you say, um, done by Herman Schmidt. Mm -hmm. um, quite a few other other women who are just named like like her, like Miss Miss So and So. Um, yeah, I was thinking about interesting to know some more yeah, about. Yeah, it these. would be yeah, <laughs> and perhaps that research, you know, through papers past, there might be yeah. um, some more information about them, sort of whether they were known as models or whether they were just women of society whose names were known yeah, um, yeah, or prominent right. kind of members of the community. Did we touch on um, how we ended up with the collection uh, from the studios? From Herman Schmidt? Yeah. Yeah, so um, we actually have quite a large collection of images mm. of Schmidt's photographs and uh, they came to the library uh, in 1970. So Herman Schmidt's studio was actually being demolished at that time and a team of Auckland Library staff, um, which was led by Pat French, who was the New Zealand and Pacific librarian at the time, um, went in and rescued 27,000 glass plate negatives from the studio, um, which were hidden away in the attic, I think, at the time. Um, so those were rescued and then uh, restored and many of them been digitised and are searchable now. So you can go on to our image databases and, and try searching for Hermann Schmidt photos and see what kinds of images he took. Um, and there are quite a few which are intended were intended as advertising mm. at the time. Yeah, that's right. So also a lot of um, World War One soldiers I saw. On yeah, there. yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, there's quite a range there. So if I if I come into the into the library and I'm I'm doing some research on costumes, um, what are some of the resources that the that the library has that could help me out? Yep, so there's quite a range of resources that you could look at for um, what people wore in the past. 
most obvious one that people would think of is probably images, so photographs from the past. And we have a couple of different databases you can look at um, to find historical images. So we have our um, recently started uh, database Kura, which has quite a lot of images, especially for the north um, and south areas of Auckland. Um, but we also have heritage images where you can search from central Auckland as well. Um, so in those databases you could try searching for words such as fancy dress or costume or if you're looking for something specific like hats or gloves, um, that's a way to search as well. Um, but there are other places that you can find out information about what people wore. So uh, there are newspapers from the past um, and many New Zealand newspapers have actually been digitised on papers past so mm. they're really easy to search. Um, and that's something that Marguerite talks about in her research, uh, seeing, even just putting in a keyword like poster ball and seeing how many results come up during a decade or 20 years, you can really get a feel for how popular something was in, in that time frame. And I can, I can search, you can search across a lot of newspapers. You can, yeah. Way. So you yeah. can either limit it to certain um, areas of New Zealand or you can search across New Zealand. Mm. So it's a really useful tool. Um, and in those newspapers, uh, you can get descriptions of social events like these balls, which sometimes have reports of what people were wearing. Mm. Um, there were usually fashion pages or fashion columns in lots of the main papers, so that might be weekly or, or monthly. They would report the latest fashions overseas and you know what was being worn locally. Um, there would sometimes be images as well, sketches, um, and also a great place to look is advertisements. Um, so those are in newspapers and also other uh, magazines and serials. So that's a really interesting insight into um, you know, what was available to people, what it cost. Often they describe the colours and the materials that are available. Yeah, yeah, that's right. What yeah. sort of serials can we...? Right, so there are a few um, which haven't been digitised but you can come in and look at in the library. Okay. Um, so there's some like the New Zealand Graphic and Ladies Journal and that has fashion pages with illustrations which are really good to look at. The New Zealand Graphic and Ladies Journal starts quite early, like the 1880s I think. Oh right. Yeah, yeah. So that's a good mm. resource for earlier sort of um, time frame. Yeah. Um, but we also have early copies of the Women's Weekly, so from the no early 1930s. Mm -hmm. um, and those early editions also included sewing patterns often, so that's a great resource for looking at what people were sewing for themselves at home. Mm. Mm. Um, and we do have quite a few sewing and also knitting patterns in our ephemera collection, so those can be seen uh, in the special collections reading room as well. So you could you could recreate some of these if you were you could, inclined yeah. to. Yep, and they would even tell you <coughs> how much fabric you needed, mm. you know, what types of uh, notions, buttons, you know, all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, in the ephemera collection as well, there'd be other useful resources such as posters and advertising, um, which can give you a good insight into trends from the time. And for theatre costume, if that's your particular interest, we have a really good um, collection of theatre programmes, posters and photos, so that would be a good um, resource for that. But information about dress history um, can be found in all sorts of unusual places. Mm. Um, for example, I was looking at an edition of the Acts of Parliament, the English Parliament, from 1600 one day, mm. which is in our, um, in our books collection, in the mm. special collections. 
and there was a, a whole section about uh, the rules about making woolen clothing from the time of Henry VIII. Right, yeah, yeah. And so that included things like every every clothier should weave his mark into his cloth and set his seal to it. <laughs> so you get these little tidbits of information, yeah. you know, even from really early times. Oh, that's right. Cool. Uh, Thanks for that, Harriet. I think that gives us um, a good taster mm -hmm. of what we can look forward to in Marguerite's talk. And also, um, if someone wants to come in and do their own research, there's some scope there to look into it, look into other yet as unexplored <laughs> areas. Definitely. I think there's a, a lot of dress history, particularly New Zealand dress histories that are yet to be researched and many stories yet to tell. Mm. Um, and I think that applies particularly to certain areas. For example, men's clothing is less researched in general than women's. Yeah, maybe this is one area where, where men aren't featuring yeah, at the front. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Um, and also there are plenty of uh, non-Pakiha stories to be told in terms of dress history as well. Stay tuned, we've got Marguerite coming up. Mm -hmm.